we have some cool things that are happening right now. I'm gonna, my sermon actually plays into this. And so um, I believe that we are in a really important time right now. I mean that. I'm not just saying that because of what's going on in, in, in the country and the nations of the world. I do believe that there's been a lot of um, prophetic words that have went out. Um, there was a lot of prophetic words coming into this year about things just... Um, I, I know it can sound cliche because it was 2020 and it was all about 2020 vision, but at the same time, you can't ignore the things that are being revealed right now. I won't be political, okay? That's not my goal. I'm just saying that things are being revealed. Darkness is being revealed. And so a lot of people thought that, um, oh, well, you know, if 2020 was such a year of vision, why didn't you see this? I think they just, sometimes our interpretation of what God is showing us isn't always quite 100%. Mm. The Bible says you prophesy in part. What does that mean? Rarely do you get the whole thing right. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And so I feel like we're in a season of a lot of things being revealed. But in the process of that, there's going to be a lot of new things being released. Um, for me personally, uh, the year 2012 was a really big year for me, that whole year. And I went through about seven years of just things happening that were prophesied in my life from 2012. Seven years typically is just a, a completion of things. That was last year. We're coming into a, new, a year that's new things, at least for me. I can't, and if you go to this church, you get to, you get to receive it too. But lots of new things are happening. Lots of new words are coming out, new things. And I want to talk about that for a minute because I've got, I just, let's see where it goes. Can we do that? Yeah. I've got a whole lot of thoughts and I'm just going to see where they land. If you have your Bibles, everybody really has them because everybody has a cell phone. John chapter 11, flip there with me. I'll give you just a second. John chapter 11. Verse 21. The Lord, uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. How many know that's good news? <laughs> Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. All right, I'm going to pause there. Martha, here she is. Her brother, Lazarus, has died. We know the story of Lazarus. And here's Jesus. He showed up late to the funeral. If you're late to things, don't feel bad. He was even late to funerals. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, vacation jokes. Um, here is the, the sister of Lazarus, and it's a phenomenal story. By the way, this is the same person that poured the perfume on the feet of Jesus. Remember that? Remember Mary and Martha? Yeah. And remember the perfume that was so expensive that was poured on the feet of Jesus? Yeah. You ever wonder why she had such expensive perfume? 
she didn't need it for the death of her brother. You see the prayer? The, yeah. I feel Jesus in this room. Yeah. Tradition was that they would pour a very pricey perfume on the death of their loved ones. And Jesus came in and raised him from the dead. So they had this really expensive bottle of perfume laying around. Who better to pour it out on than the one that raised their brother from the dead? Y'all, we're going to have something happen this morning. I feel the presence of the Lord like, yeah. So here he is, though, before he's raised Lazarus from the dead. And um, she says, you're late. If you wouldn't have been late, he wouldn't be dead. And he said, good news, he's going to raise from the dead. And she does what so many good church people does. She answers with theology instead of faith. She says, well, I know he'll raise again in the last days. I'm convinced that... (laughs) I'm convinced that one of the greatest hindrances to the church is not often demons and devils. It's taking things that God wants to happen now and putting it out in the future. (laughs) Um, We're going to let that sit a minute. Christian procrastination robs the church of so much. (laughs) I want you to think about this. Like, I'm a parent. I've got three kids, and um, their rooms, I feel like, are always a mess. And I want you to think about from the perspective of, hey, I need you to clean that room. Dad, I'll clean the room at some point down the road. It's kind of how most of us, when the Father speaks to us, we, we put it all down the road. Well, one day that'll happen. One day, uh, you know, I know one day he'll raise from the dead, but Jesus was not talking about down the road. He was talking about now. He was speaking a now word, and Martha was unable to see it. And I really believe that one of the greatest challenges that we have in the church is that we put things that were meant for now off into another time. I know that y'all get this sooner or later. I know that it's, it's been how the church has been run and we just, just to hang in there until Jesus comes back and saves me. I just don't think that when he died on the cross and rose from the dead and said greater power that's in you meant hang around and be in suffering until I get back. Amen. He was talking about now. One of my favorite stories about Jesus, and I have so many scriptures, we won't flip to all of them. You can write them down if you like. But John chapter 2 talks about when Jesus did his first miracle. And if you remember, he was at a wedding, and they were out of wine. Grape juice, whatever you want to say. <laughs> whatever makes you feel good, stick it in there. But the, the scripture says they're out of wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I just offended people. I'm just reading the Bible. So here's Jesus, they're out of wine, and here comes his mother Mary, and she says, all right, Jesus, I'm going I'm to speak how I see it. It's time. It's 30 years. I have known since the angel came and announced to me that you are coming 30 years ago that you're going to be the Savior of the earth. It is time to do a miracle. Jesus responds to her in a way that must be culturally different than what we have, because he says, woman... 
It is not my time. If I told my mom woman and anything after that, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't know what hit me. I'm telling you. Jesus, it's clearly something culturally different. Jesus says, woman, it is not my time. Her response to that is not to, uh, not to consult with him, not to plead with him, not to convince him. She says, Jesus says, mother, it's not my time. Je- Mama looks at the disciples and says, just do as he says. <laughs> Typical mom move, 100%. What's the point? She was pulling a miracle that was not even meant for that moment out of the future into the moment. This messes with people's understanding of the sovereignty of God, which I can't possibly get into right now, except for that he makes room for you in that. But I'm not going to talk to you today about pulling things from the future into now. I'm going to talk to you about the danger of taking things for now and putting them into the future. Because I've talked to you about pulling the future into now. And that's a more exciting message. But I want to talk to you about the danger of taking things that Jesus is saying now and pushing them out. I believe there's many times that we can pull what God is speaking into now. We have biblical evidence of it. But one of the things that will happen is fear will rob you of answered prayers. Fear will rob you of having your prayers answered at times. Because sometimes the things that you're praying for, (laughs) if they happen, they're pretty big. I've had prophetic words over me that I I just don't share publicly. But fear would love to come in and say, well, how's that going to work? You got three kids and you got a church and you got this and all this. How's that going to work? And fear will come in and fear will rob you every time. And what it will get you to do is to just push it out. And then we'll say, well, in the Lord's timing. In the Lord's timing. When he's... (laughs) I imagine he hears that one all the time. Well, when it's Lord's time. And he's saying, now. It's important that we go for more of God, but it is just as important to know what to do with the more when we get it. It's important that we go after more of God. I've preached a lot of messages recently on the pursuit of God and and how to go after the heart of the Father. And we've been coming in here on on Wednesday nights, by the way, and you should come every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. We go after heaven, we pray, and things happen. But if we're going to go after God, what are we going to do when we get him? If we're going to go after more, what are you going to do with more? Because he just so happens to pay attention to how we handle more. And sometimes we have to learn to pursue, which is very important, but sometimes we have to learn to receive. It's a balance. I remember we had Brian Simmons here uh, the first time he came, and it was crazy. And I remember him saying, some of you need to learn, and, and, he, and he went through the different meanings of words in the Bible, and so many of the words that we've mistranslated actually mean a kiss from God. He said, have you ever tried to kiss and talk at the same time? <laughs> Super awkward. He said, so many times God is just wanting to give you a kiss from heaven and you're talking. 
And so I think it's important that we continue to always be in a place of pursuit, but at the same time, we have to learn when heaven is wanting to give us a kiss. Some of you got that pursuit thing down. But is it possible to get into such a position of pursuit that we actually become unable to receive? Um, if, this is, this is going to sound like a contradiction, and it's really not, because look at a, a football game, whatever. Uh, sometimes you have to run and pursue the position you need to be in to catch the ball. But at some point, you have to switch from the position of pursuit to receiving. Yeah. If someone's running and they're not in the position to receive and you just pelt them with a ball, it's, it's not gonna, it's, they're not going to catch it. It's just going to bounce right off of them. I've seen this, and I've talked about this before. One of my friends, Harold Eberly, was preaching at a conference one time, and Harold is an amazing guy. And he, uh, one of my other friends was there. His name's Ivan Roman, who's a prophet. And Ivan, he was using the example of how to receive from God. He said, you have to position yourself sometimes to catch. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, Ivan, I want to show you. Let's do an example. And he grabbed his bag, his, his computer bag. And he said, Ivan, here, do this. And he threw it at him, and Ivan caught it. And when Ivan touched it, the power of God hit him and shot him like 30 feet backwards. Knocking down a, it looked like bowling, knocking down all these people behind him. (laughs) Ivan was in a position to receive. Sometimes God will just go a little bit above and beyond your expectations. But there is a pursuit and then there is a receiving that has to happen. I want you to flip over to Acts 12, and we're going to read through a pretty big portion of Scripture. But I want us to get ready to receive. I feel like we're in a year, may feel contradicting to what's going on around us, but rarely does the kingdom ever line up with what's happening on earth. (laughs) But don't let it confuse you to what's actually happening in the spirit, because what's happening in the spirit realm right now is so incredibly charged. It's so incredibly charged. When I walked into worship this morning, it felt like a conference, like that the atmosphere of heaven was so thick in here. I was like, oh, man, that's good. So let's read through a little bit of Acts chapter 12, and it says it was, uh, let's see here. Here we've got um, James and John, they're in prison. And let's just start in uh, verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after Passover. So Peter was, excuse me, Peter. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want you to note, they're earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two shoulders between uh, bound with two chains and the sentry stood guard at the entrance and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and the light shone in his cell he struck Peter on the side and woke him up I just kind of imagine an angel like hey Peter wake up and he said the chains fell off Peter's wrist then the angel said to him put on your clothes and sandals and Peter did so and wrap a cloak around you and follow me 
the angel told him, and Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. <laughs> Sometimes you have to follow even if you don't understand what's happening. That's right. Amen, John. Um, <laughs> he thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city and was opened for them by itself. This, I want to see this one when I get to heaven. And they went through it, and when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And here's where I want to focus. Then Peter came to him himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. <laughs> what were they praying for? We just read it. They were praying for Peter's release. How cool would that be? Your prayer, you're praying for someone and they show up, okay? Peter knocked, <laughs> I love this story. Peter knocked at the door and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, ran back without even opening the door and exclaimed, <laughs> Peter's at the door. <laughs> I have a super active imagination. I just kind of see like, you know, She's like, <gasps> she just, she runs in and Peter's at the door. <laughs> they said to her, you're out of your mind. <laughs> no, wait a minute. They're praying for her to be released. Could it be that they were not expecting the answer to their prayer until a later time? How many of you come in this morning on a Sunday morning, you don't have to raise your hand, and you actually expect your prayers to be answered right now? Not, not, not like this kicks off the whole cycle of something. It may be how it happens. But how many of you expect your prayers to be answered now? They were praying for him, and they obviously had very little expectation it would happen in that moment. Because when he showed up, they didn't even let him in, and then they said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> when she kept insisting, they said, well, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. <laughs> you see Peter like, guys, seriously, let me in. The angel is left now. Let me in. <laughs> when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out. And then he goes on and just tells the story of what had happened. <laughs> Could it be that our fear of being let down lowers the bar in our prayer life of that we're disciplined in prayer, but we're not expectant in prayer? Yeah. Come on. I, I've met so many people that have prayed for things for so long, some of them 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and they've got to the point where I think they're disciplined to continue praying for it, but I think that the fear has actually stopped them from believing for it. And here they are. They're, they're praying, but they're not expecting. Martha, uh, basically, in a sense, was praying. She was talking to Jesus. And she said, what are you going to do with my brother? And he says, I'm going to raise him from the dead. And she says, I know he'll raise one day. She wasn't actually expecting the answer right there. I feel like God wants to amp up our prayer life. 
I feel like a, just a, something that's going to stir up in our prayer life. But how would life change if we understood that our prayers had actually already been answered before we prayed them? <laughs> Randall said last week a statement that was like, Phew. he said, God doesn't start things to finish them. He, fi- he said, he finishes them to start them. This is like, oh, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> Tell me that again. God has already went ahead and finished them. He's just bringing you along on the process. What do you think the prophetic ministry is? What do you think a testimony is? What do you think happens when you testify in this room and you say, this is why testimonies are so important? This is why if you get healed, please tell us. If you get set free, please tell us. Why? Because you are paving the path for someone else to get it. But the prophetic ministry is all about the Lord saying, oh, I've already been over here, and I've already seen what's going to happen. So I'm going to come back over here, and I'm going to have somebody on a Sunday morning at the gate come up to you and give you a prophetic word so they can tell you, hey, you're going to get there. But prophetic words are invitations. They're not guarantees, because if you sit, <laughs> because if you don't, <laughs> I'm trying to find a nice way to say this. If you don't do something, and you just sit, when God is saying, come with me, then we say, well, I knew it wasn't a real prophetic word. He's inviting you on the journey. He's already finished it. He's not worried about the end. He's worried about you coming along. And that's your choice. What would it look like if we began to pray from a place that we realized our prayers had already been answered? What if we began to realize that what we're doing is enforcing the victory that's already happened? This is an interesting scripture in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, and it says, In the time of rain, ask for the rain. We're, I love the scripture. In the time of rain, ask for the rain. Doesn't make much sense. I've preached this a few different ways. One of the things that I think we can grab from it is when it's raining, keep asking for more. Yeah. When it's raining, keep asking for more. But maybe we should get in the habit of praying for things and realizing they're already happening. Yes. Come on. Yeah. 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 Good. I still got lots of time, guys. Where do we want to go next? Thanks, Jesus. Let's jump into, uh, I'm going to go over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And then I'm going to flip to another passage right after that. Matthew chapter 11. And after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the town of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I'm going to read that one more time. 
After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, this isn't a big deal if you don't understand the context of the scripture. John has already had a pretty big revelation of who Jesus is. Do you remember that John was called to go forth and to baptize in the desert until he found Jesus? John chapter 1, verse uh, 28 says, And this happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan, where John was baptizing. Interesting, by the way, because that's the place where the children of Israel entered into the promised land. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I was said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, hold on a second, because here's John, and he's saying, There, behold the Lamb of God. There he is. Fast forward. John is sitting in a prison cell, sending his disciples to Jesus, saying, can you just go ask him if he's actually the one? Isn't it interesting how pain can suppress and erase our revelation of who God is? The same thing happened, if you remember, on the road to Emmaus when the disciples were walking with Jesus and they did not know it was Jesus and they made this remark. They were talking about the great, the great prophet. Wait a minute. They knew he was the Messiah of the world. But now they've downgraded him to calling him a prophet. Pain can suppress things that God has revealed about himself. Let's make it real for you. Some of you that are struggling financially, you have known that he is the provider. How many of you know when it's really, 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 really hurting and tough, it's a little more challenging to realize he is the provider. Can we be real this morning? It will challenge that revelation of who God is with you. It doesn't challenge who God is. It challenges the revelation with you. And here they are. John's in prison. He's discouraged, guys. He's discouraged to the point where he... This has to be humbling. You have to understand. This is like he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus if you're actually the one. That's like for me as a leader asking my leadership team, I am so frustrated that I tell them I really want them all to go in prayer because I don't even know if we're on the right path. I want you to understand how humbling this was that he asked his disciples to go see if it's even Jesus. The guys that he's been leading to do great works for the Lord. He's now humbled and broken to the point where he says, just go ask him if it's actually him. It's a big deal. Now I'm gonna flip back. Like I said, I'm just flipping all over the place. I'm flipping back now to Matthew Chapter 11, I'm going to read verse 4. And it says, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, 
the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the count of me. <laughs> this is a big deal. Jesus loved John. Peter, John. Who am I talking about? John. Back to John. We're off Peter. He liked them all. <laughs> I'm getting the disciples confused. Who am I talking about? Jesus loved him dearly. It might sound like it was an insensitive response of, are you even the Messiah? And Jesus comes back and says, tell him what's happening. And then he said, blessed are those who don't get offended. Oh, that's a scripture that the church needs to sink their teeth into. Blessed are those who don't get offended. Offense is the true plague that wants to get in and destroy people. I watch it because offense that's not dealt with will always become bitterness. Always. I'm a PK. I've seen some stuff. I've seen some stuff. I've seen people get offended about everything from the carpet we put in. And I'm not joking. When we had some rad pink carpet in here. Some of you are like, I'm serious. It was in style in the 80s, okay? <laughs> People get offended and bitter over anything if they open their heart up to it. Here's Jesus talking to John and saying, John, whatever you do, don't get offended. Why, were those, why was it so important that he read them those miracles? I've taught this before, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to remind us of it. When Jesus came... And he walked the earth. There were four specific miracles that the priests who had trained for all their life were looking for. And they were taught that if you see these four miracles, they're called the four messianic miracles. If these four miracles happen, you know it's the Messiah. These guys had been taught this. They had been trained. When you begin to understand these four messianic miracles, you begin to understand why Jesus healed people the way he did. Leprosy was one of them. No one had ever been healed of leprosy. There was very specific guidelines for the priests that if someone gets healed of leprosy, here's what you need to do. You have to go to the temple, show yourself to the priest to be examined. And these guys for over a thousand years have been waiting and had protocols that if anyone ever shows up and was a leper and is no longer a leper, that has to be the Messiah. So when Jesus healed the leper, why do you think that he said, go show yourself to the priest? He knew their system. <laughs> He said, go show yourself to the priest. The second one, and by the way, that's, if you want to write these down, that's Mark chapter 1, verse 40. The second one is in Matthew 12, 22, is when Jesus healed the mute. This was a big deal because they believed that you could only, they believed that being a mute was a form of something from demonic oppression, actually demonic influence, whatever you want to call it. 
They also believed that you couldn't cast out a demon unless they knew the demon's name. How could you find out a demon's name if the person was mute? Jesus shows up, says, I got this. Heals the mute, and he has fulfilled the second miracle that says you have to be the Messiah to do this. Because priests could do deliverance, but the only way they believed they could do it was by getting the name of the demon. (laughs) The Bible said that they marveled at his authority. By the way, all these things are things that you and I can do under the new covenant. Let's make sure we're on the same page there. The third one was to heal a blind man. We see this story in John chapter 9. They believed that blindness came from either your, from your parents sinning or that you had sinned in the womb. Talk about a rough start. <laughs> you already blew it in the womb, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> they genuinely believed, though, that there would have been sin before you were born. So they believed that you were, if you were born with an illness, it was a curse from God. Therefore, if you were cursed from God, how would God heal you? Sounds like a lot of the church still. (laughs) So, when Jesus came and they healed a blind man, they said, it's got to be him. The fourth one, we see it in John chapter 11, it's the fourth miracle. And we started on this, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead on the fourth day. I know I made a joke, but genuinely Jesus was not late. He had to wait until after three days to raise him. Why? Because the fourth miracle was that only the Messiah could raise someone three, after three days of being dead. They believed that your spirit would hang around your body for three days. And after three days, your spirit would ascend and that there was no longer a chance of raising a dead person after three days. Why do you think Jesus showed up? Martha said, if you'd only been here. Jesus was gonna raise Lazarus. He loved Lazarus, but he had something bigger he was taking care of. He was defining and making clear that he was the Messiah. He came on the fourth day. (laughs) Jesus was a smart cookie. He knew the priests. He knew their little spirit, their little religious system that was in place. And he was coming in and checking them off one after another. I'll heal the mute. I'll heal the blind person. I'll heal the dead. He came in and one after another, the leper. So when Jesus speaks to John and John is in prison and he says, is it even you? What did Jesus tell him? Hey, John, don't forget the blind receive sight. That's only the Messiah. The lame are walking. Those who have leprosy are being healed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raising. What is he doing? He's reminding him of the answered prayers. When you get into a place like John, where everything in you is beginning to be challenged 
I don't even know if this is God. I don't even know if this business was God. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know if this church was God. I don't know if this was God. And you ask him, I want you to pay attention to how Jesus answered John. He said, I'm gonna remind you of all the answered prayers. When I have people that come to me and they, they're praying for a family member or a child or a spouse and it's a really, really rough situation, the first thing I always go to is what's the prophetic words over their life that haven't happened? Why? Because God's already went in their future and seen them. Yeah. And we're gonna get them there. Yeah. But I know I can stand on that. You don't need someone to always, I say this with all kindness, you don't always need someone to cry with you. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you need someone to believe with you. And Jesus said, I gotta remind you of all we've done. John, don't get offended. Don't get offended. Jesus is, even in that moment, Jesus is teaching John how to recognize answered prayers. You got a little more room? Yeah. All right. Verse uh, 13. For all the prophets and the the law prophesied and, until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. <laughs> I gotta rewind. I missed the verse that it's all supposed to... I read the wrong verse. <laughs> From the day... <laughs> I love you guys. You're like, amen. Yeah. <laughs> Completely missed the verse I was supposed to read, though. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom, and I want you to hold on a second, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. Now, this is the NIV. Most of your scriptures will say, and the violent taketh by force. I want you to listen to me, though. I want you to pay attention to the wording. This is really important. From the days of John the Baptist until now. Not now. Not right now. Now when they were writing the scripture. Don't put every now in your Bible now in your life. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful with that. You can get some really crazy stuff going on. There's a lot of nows in your Bible that were nows a long time ago. That's important. From the days of John the Baptist until now, now is when they were writing the scripture, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and the violent people have taken it by force. I like to raise the question, how did the nonviolent take it? <laughs> Wait a minute, this is like, this is what I do. Well, that was then until now. You guys looking at me like, I just ruined all your Sunday school years. <laughs> Things changed. Things changed when Jesus died on that cross and his blood was shed. Everything was changing. He's saying, you don't have to be. Violence was how it had to happen before. 
That's not how it has to happen now. We see a prototype of this. It was still in the old covenant, but we see a prototype. Remember David the warrior? Awesome stories about David the warrior. But remember his son, Solomon, who was wise, and it went from a warring kingdom to a wise kingdom. And interestingly enough, the wise kingdom had peace all around it. Could it be that more can be won in wisdom than in violence? You see, Solomon knew how to operate from a place of wisdom. I know in our, our, our culture, and, and I, I, how do I say this? I don't want to ever... Um, I don't want to ever destroy people that have like warring ministries because I do believe there's a place for that. But I often find typically there's warring ministries and there's building ministries. Yeah. And a lot of times they're not the same one. Yeah. You're really quiet right now. I've seen a lot of generations that have taken a lot of land. Spiritually speaking, they've taken land, they've taken land, they've taken land. I, I, I am blessed that my parents ministered before me for 28 years. They took land spiritually. They took ground, they took ground, they took ground. I got to come in and build on it. Because they already took it. I'm not going to fight for the same ground they already got. Napoleon said that the object of see if I can remember this the object of battle is victory the object of victory is occupants what does that mean I've got this little piece of land behind my house it's a power line easement and there's always this weird like who owns that (laughs) like my kids think they own it I'm like guys it's not ours but it's actually owned by the city. But there's nothing built on it. There's nothing occupying it. So there's nothing to tell us who owns it. Occupancy declares, this is mine. God hasn't called us to keep trying to always take land. Sometimes he's wanting you to occupy the land you've already got. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to feel what I, I'm trying to discern what I feel in the room. I feel God speaking. It's the same idea as, you know, we, we want more, but what are you going to do when you get it? Some of you, it's, it's, it's perfectly okay to believe for more finances. What are you going to do when you get it? It's really okay. We need, we need powerful Christians that financially can invest into what the Lord is doing in the earth. Yeah. Don't fall into the false trap of humility means being broke. I'm going to preach on it for a minute. I am going to do that. Because this one gets me frustrated. Because I feel like Christians feel like they have to Oh, should I go there? Christians have been taught that humility means to be without. Here's what happens. God's trying to humble you. This is what they'll teach you. 
What a terrible representation of the father. I mean, if my dad, I mean, or oh, let's take me. <laughs> Sorry, kids. You know what? Not eating tonight. Actually, you're not eating the next week. Just want to see you be a little more humble. I get social services called on me. But God can do that? Because he says, you think you're a good dad. I'm way better than you. He's not up there in heaven trying to break you. You do great at that all on your own. People are like, he's trying to break me. No, you made a bad choice. <laughs> and you're having to get over it. People tell me, I just know it's the Lord. I'm like, nah. Maybe you should. All right. <laughs> I, listen, this is coming from a heart that's not perfect. I've learned a lot. and I have, I'm young, but I'm telling you, I've learned a lot. I've spent money that I didn't have, and I learned out very quickly. That wasn't God breaking me. God, God was on the other end like, let's try that again. You can do better. And I'm always learning. But I think that we too often think that God the Father is trying to teach us something about humility by taking away everything that we have. And it's just not him. He's never been one that is to teach by taking away. He's always been by giving. God wants to give a lot. I'm believing, I am, I am genuinely believing that, uh, it's just me, so you can join me or not. I'm believing that Charlotte will become the richest city in America. Yep. That funds what the Lord wants to do. I believe that, I believe that he's looking for people that he can release the kingdom on. And, and let me just say this too, because I feel this in the room. I felt like a wave of condemnation that came in that people that feel like, because they don't have something, you know, I'm not doing well or whatnot. Don't pick up what I'm not saying. Please don't pick that up. Yeah. There, are, there are seasons that we go through that most of the time we make the choices that lead us through those seasons, but hear me out. God will take you through these seasons and he will walk with you and he will show you what you're capable of. He doesn't test you to disprove you. He tests you to prove you. He will go with you. He will, he will come with you. But I think so often we look at him and say, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? I've been through those seasons. Oh, I've been through those seasons. I, and I'll finish on this story. I, I, for those of you that don't know, I'm going to tell the story because I never do. Most people think the gate started four years ago which it did, the gate did, the church. But I was on staff with my father from 18 years old. I started, I was a youth pastor at 18. I was still a teenager. And um, I want to honor my dad. I wish he was here today. He just turned 70. And um, yeah. And uh, my dad is an awesome man of God. So is my mom. Well, not a man. But she's an awesome woman of God. She could probably take down most men. That's all I'm saying. 
she's the Italian. <laughs> and uh, my mom and my, my dad, though, they pastored, they built this church in... Come on, guys, you were here. 25 years. <laughs> no one's going to know. We'll make up a story. Uh, but yeah, it was about, it was, it was a long, it was uh, the year of Hurricane Hugo was when we moved here, and then a few years after that, they built this place. So um, my parents hosted so many moves of God in this place. We had, year, we had times in the late 90s, right around late 90s to 2000, where they would get 600 people in this building. There's probably only like 125 to 150 in here right now. Now, they would put them in classrooms in the back. People were so hungry, they would come from everywhere. We would park them down the road. Other churches would let us park them at their churches to come and receive more of God. We hosted so many powerful... I remember we'd come out after services and <laughs> there's people laid out everywhere. Like, like Holy Spirit would show up and you didn't have a chance. I want to I tell you this though because I want you to know our heritage. 1999, I think, 99, we hosted a worship and intercession conference here where leaders from all over Charlotte came. And I'll never forget the morning where the Holy Spirit broke out and it was like he never went away. And it was a morning where all of the leaders began to pray for our city. And the presence of the Lord, I mean, broke out in a way. It was just incredible. We went through some amazing times. We went through some tough times. Remember when the economy crashed in 2008? Yep. It got tough. Yeah, there's things I can't tell you that I wish I could that are just so many amazing things happened. But through the course of that and through the years to come and through transition and all that, it came to the point where we were just down to a handful of people. I, I don't know. I think one week we counted 30 people in the room. We were a big, small group. People were like, you don't have home groups? I'm like, we are a home group. <laughs> we, we are a big home group. And um, I remember the year before I took over, I was just really frustrated with the Lord. I just I was so frustrated. I remember we tried everything we knew to try. I had every prophetic word you could imagine. All the big dogs gave me prophetic words, you know. I was like, we got it. Nothing changed. And except more people left. <laughs> I remember in October of my first year here. So October of the first year starting. I remember I went up to the office with Tiffany. We don't talk about this a lot. Remember I told her, I said, Tiffany, she told me the offering because she, she does offerings. And she said, uh, just so you know, you got about, I don't know, this is close. She said, you got about four weeks of pay left at this number and maybe three months of the church being open before it shuts down. This is my first month. Go, John. <laughs> we shut her down in a month. God was faithful, though. I told her, I remember saying, I remember saying to her, I said, babe, I said, we have too many prophetic words for this to fail. You can't. 
And I remember one time I got so frustrated with the Lord, I just went outside and I walked around this property and I cried like a baby. <laughs> I just cried and I, I remember when I just yelled at God like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> like my David moment, like, Selah. <laughs> and I yelled at God like, why are you doing this to me? And I remember him just saying to me, I'm not doing this to you. But I, I remember him telling me, he said, but I am becoming aware of what you can handle because I have a lot to give to you. And I went, <laughs> we were living in this house up here, which, by the way, is a bad idea. <laughs> Never live on property at a church. You know how many people forget their keys? It is astonishing. <laughs> we were up there in the house, and uh, Tiffany was up there cooking, and I remember I just came around, and I put my arms around her. I said, babe, I got a word. I said, God is telling us that he is basically becoming aware of what we can carry. And I look forward, and I see seasons. I see people in this room right now that I could feel your pain when I came in this morning, guys. I could feel some of you. Some of you are doing great. Some of you are hurting. Like, I felt your pain in the room. And I feel the Lord just saying, remember my promises. And don't get offended. He's faithful. I, it is, the outcome is not up to you, and the outcome is not up to me. If this church went back to 30, that's, that's his issue, not mine. I have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. But the outcome is not on your shoulders. Yeah. God restore dreams. There's change coming. Let me, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to let you out of here. i got to be done in like five minutes. I'll be done pretty quick. There's a lot of change coming. Even in this house, I can feel it. I can feel changes. And I know churches get uncomfortable with change. <laughs> but if it's God, it's good. Yeah. If it's God, it's good. And I'm going to release some hope over you this morning because I feel just to release hope. Yeah. Amen. I, test, I told you my whole story because I wanted, and that's just a small piece of it. I can tell you about when I took over my youth ministry at 18 and the whole thing went from 50 people to like two. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you can laugh on that one. I feel like the biggest failure ever. I came in after there had been a moral failure and people hated me. I had kids that would walk out in the middle of my sermons and slam the door open and walk out. But I knew what God had for that youth group. Most of that youth group is now my worship team or leadership team. He was raising up. When David was running from Saul and he was in caves, he raised up a lot more giant killers. Just because you're in a cave sometime doesn't mean you're not doing anything. Let's stand. This went a completely different direction than I thought we were going to end on. Holy Spirit, you're highlighting things right now. I feel it. You're changing things.
Here's one of the things I want to encourage you to do right now. The phrase, some people say, you know, you really need to own it. That's a really bad idea and, and sometimes in the kingdom of God. I always tell people you need to steward it. When you own it, you think it's yours. First thing I told my team when I came in is I said, you, we don't own a ministry. We don't own anything. We steward it. And if God wants it back, it's his. And so for some of you, you need to actually, Randy Clark taught me this. He said, you need to hold people and everything with an open hand. You don't do this. You just hold it like this. And so prophetically, some of you need to do that right now. You actually need to open your hands up, and you're going to feel a weight release off your shoulders. Just open your hands up. Maybe do it a couple times from a fist to an open hand and just say, Holy, just, just, you can say it privately, but Holy Spirit, I give, this is yours. This is all yours. Everything you've given me. Some of you, you need to do that with your family. I know it's scary, but you, you're stewarding your family. They're his. And I know they're safer with him than with me. Some of you with your children, you just need to open your hand up and say, Holy Spirit, they're really yours. I trust you with them. Man, I feel that. Holy Spirit, the ministries that you've put in my heart, it's yours. I trust you. Holy Spirit, this business you've given me, I open my hands. I can't carry the weight and worry. It's yours. I give it to you. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Now take a big, just take a deep breath. Sometimes you got to prophetically just do it. Just let that thing out, man. Wow. <laughs> now thanks, God. Thank you, God, that you're so faithful. You are so faithful, God. I have no worries in my future. I just get to represent you day by day the best I know how. That's it. Now I declare over you, I declare over every single one of you abundance. I declare over you peace in your households, peace in your marriages. May the peace of God be your portion. Peace, peace.